0: Welcome to The Daily Stand. My name is Sam Zoloff, Head of Growth at ADK Group. In this season, we'll be looking at product leadership and strategy through the experiences of different product owners and operators. Some you may have heard of, and some are sharing their hard-earned lessons for the first time. In either case, you'll walk away with ideas, insights, and lessons that will help you excel at designing, building, and scaling products. Good morning and welcome back to The Daily Stand. Today, we have a conversation between Alex Fedorov, who is the VP of design at ADK Group, and Om Sutar. By day, Sutar is the director of design at Ellucian, which makes enterprise software for running higher ed institutions. In his off hours, he's building a product called Personify. Personify makes the data you get from user research more actionable and accessible, making it a tool for designers to design better designed and built by a director of design. Like many entrepreneurs, Ohm is building the solution to a specific and persistent pain he experienced in his day job. You may recognize it.
1: What would you say the biggest pain points are of managing digital products?
2: I think it's probably less on execution and more on expectation management. Hmm. There's always this difference between how, when I write a spec and how I explain it, in how a person in their mind thinks about it or the the scenarios that they have in mind. So I think it's really, really important for us as an industry to get better at managing expectations through better documentation. And I mean, design intent documentation. And that exists in a myriad of different tools, whether it be Google Docs or Notion or like any text editor. It's really not about that. It's really more about like, What is your mental model or page structure for organizing research to design intent to then product feature documentation? And how are you engaging your cross-functional team members to make sure that that's all aligning? So for example, I've created a clear delineation between design intent documentation and product spec requirement documentation. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we align that we tow between design and BAs or product managers. So for example, you do all this research and it sits in the PowerPoint you put together and all that hard work just sits in a folder, but then surfacing access to that folder, understanding what is the contextual value, all of the stuff behind it is just so hard to do. And now that because of the pandemic, we've gone digital, that format doesn't work as much anymore. And as a byproduct, all of that work is really static.
1: And Personify HQ is built to help solve those challenges
2: going from research to insight to product updates? This is the latest culmination from a problem that's persisted is really, where do I put my knowledge base of my user research? Now, my product managers and other leaders don't necessarily want to look at the raw data. They want to look at the insights. But there's a series of things that happen to go from understanding the purpose of the user research, aligning on that, recruiting our participants, screening them, interviewing them, synthesizing it all the way down to getting insights and building that up and traditional repositories are really expensive and hard to build up from the ground up so really at the project level what could i do quickly to organize and build my user knowledge and be able to share that fluidly with others and have it work well with some of some of my other tools so i literally started prototyping this concept by trying to do these things in confluence and other existing tools that i had found all the shortcomings that I experienced and realized that we kind of need our own place to put these things. And I think it's significant because I think user research is really about discovering the why. The why is the missing piece in understanding the motivations, the core needs that are driving um, those actions.
1: Are there any maybe often overlooked benefits of getting that user research, that that qualitative feedback?
2: Um, it's funny. The things that you did work hard on tend to be the ones that don't seem to make as much of a, like, like to the users, like, oh, okay, that's cool. You've, you've got that figured out. But what's amazing is when you don't have something figured out and you invite your customers to, in the right level, to come in and participate in building it with you for them, Something magical happens where they buy into the idea, and you've already kind of sold them on it. Now it's just a matter of when you get there together. And the better you get at that aspect, the more rewarding working in digital experiences ends up becoming. That's awesome. It yeah. just has a follow-up question to that: like, how
1: do you deal with customer expectations that are totally different or at odds with each other? Like. In that scenario where you're inviting them in to become part of the process. Yeah.
2: It's about the model of trade-offs, right? We, we all understand limited resources. So um, forcing the customer to sit in your shoes, saying something like, Hey, okay. If you were leading the team and you had a pick between building this feature for two weeks or building this feature for six weeks, which one would you do first and why? What it does is it drives them to have empathy for the decision-making, the resources that you have, and then they will discuss the trade-offs and internalize the value of the trade-offs, rather than you having to convince them of the value of the trade-offs.
1: That's an excellent way to put it. And I love that the idea that's underlying all of this is empathy, not only you for the customer, but also encouraging that to flow in the opposite direction. So with all this user research and interaction, you must be amassing a huge amount of feedback issues and so on. Uh, How are you keeping track of all that?
2: So the way I do that is I have a repo that I've created in Airtable and this repository really helps me look through different planes of my projects, my personas, key nuggets that I pick up and the emotions. And so it's all indexed so I can look at the same data in a multitude of different ways. And then it's actually packaged then later on into the narrative of Personify. So Airtable and Personify really are two great tools for working together. I think if Personify was the tip of the iceberg, Airtable is really everything underneath it. For my researchers, where where I would find all that raw data. Got it.
1: Are there any other specific processes or tools you're using to manage the product's evolution?
2: Yeah, Typeform is another great tool, which is a surveying tool um, they also have another one called VideoAsk. And what VideoAsk allows me to do is run asynchronous interviews. So I can basically record my face, ask a series of questions and then share it with any participants and they can choose to respond either through uh, text, uh, voice or video. And it's never expires and I don't have to schedule time with them. So the great thing about that is I can send it out and say, Hey, I need this back in two weeks. And, but the rate of completes is much higher than me having to figure out, you know, synchronous time slots for us to meet and to get that same level of information together. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, are you currently
1: using a product roadmap process?
2: Uh, so To communicate with our our development team, we use something similar to Jira, but a lot more powerful called linear. And then each feature is uh, treated as an epic and each capability that we build is uh, a feature. So we tie that to our product roadmap in Notion, which is a configurable Gantt chart. I can put scheduled dates and boundaries around the feature scope definition, and that allows us to have a roadmap, but also then view it as a punch list of like, hey, these are all the things we need to get done before the next release. And then have that link back to our research in Airtable or Personify, where we know exactly what the context of like where that came from.
1: Great. So Ohm isn't just singularly focused on qualitative customer feedback. He also strongly supports designers building up their analytics muscles.
2: One thing I've been thinking a lot about lately is... Um, it's really worthwhile for designers to understand how analytics work. And Google has an academy which uh, provides a free tier of learning for Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager. Mm-hmm. Understanding how SEO works, understanding how you can set up these scenarios, and understanding things like you know, endpoint acquisition goals are really core to aligning your product to product KPI metrics, marketing metrics. As well as you understanding, like just generally user behavior. So as a core, like foundational piece, I I see that sometimes missing. And think it's a really easy aspect for designers to pick up because there's no cost really associated to it other than time and intent. But there's a limiting factor in the amount of data that quantitative gives you. Whereas qualitative is kind of limitless if you know how to uh, tap into it. So... Traditionally, one of the methods, the ethnographic research method, is to interview your customers, right? But there are also a multitude of guerrilla tactics that are emerging uh, that allow you to do the same thing. What's an example of one of those guerrilla tactics? If you're researching the video game industry, video streaming and having a user speak out loud as they're playing a video game is actually quite a common occurrence, a natural occurrence on its own. So that's basically an ethnographic research method right there unto itself, right? So if I can tap into these existing channels, I can get pretty creative in just how I get that same type of information, but in some new ways that are asynchronous or naturally occurring that don't require the amount of scheduling and upfront work of identifying because these people are self-identifying themselves through the activities that they're doing. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Are you using any in-app analytics to track usage and patterns from a data perspective?
2: Yes. So we have Google tag manager and Google analytics as well as Pendo, and there's some few key stages, right? So there's uh, website visitor to registered user to registered user that made their first persona to a uh, registered user that made their first persona and invited a team member and created a bookmark to all the way to the end where they've uh, reached their research goal and validated a persona. And we measure, uh, we have key metrics of like time to completion from, you know, that 0.0 to one, to two, to three, so on and so forth to understand what are the areas that we need to spend more time on, where are people getting stuck and how to improve the product.
1: Yeah, I think that's great how you describe like the phases of going from uh, website visitor all the way through registered user. Uh, that's one of the things I'm pretty passionate about is user onboarding. Um, are there any like designs, like specific principles you use for onboarding?
2: Yeah, so um, actually, growth marketing has this term called EPAG or Endpoint Acquisition Goal. So what it the value of that is? It's saying, okay, what is the next thing you want the user to do? Uh, and rather than thinking of the onboarding as like, I got to get them through steps one through five, you're just saying, get the user from step zero to one, then get the user from step one to two, then get them from step you know two to three, so on and so forth. And that progressive disclosure really helps people understand what success is and what's the expectation. And th- almost treating as conversion funnel then neatly lines up with, you know how you measure the analytics behind the performance of the onboarding itself.
1: Cool. So, what are the tools you've built or bought to help facilitate those early milestones in user onboarding?
2: Pendo is a really great example of build versus buy, as well as Notion, actually. So, a lot of our like how-to help content uh, our self-paced course curriculum content is hosted on notion and we just simply do a custom domain redirect. And the reason for that is having the flexibility to change the content to get it right is more important than the technology itself. And like that was a really important key decision. Another thing about Pendo is being able to then build those hotspots and coach marks that help you build that first time user experience. And being able to experiment that with that on the fly, without code implementation, being necessary every time is super, super helpful. Uh, another one was implementing drift as a chatbot on your website to intercept and have conversations and help, um, users understand what the value is and things like that is another really, really great asset to have. So having two or three of these, just even on a free tier level, it can help you jump significantly into understanding, like, what am I going to build versus buy? Because, you know, we didn't want to commit to necessarily hard coding all of our onboarding uh, flows when we were just starting an experiment. So it made more sense to spend money for that rather than to build it ourselves. Right. Yeah.
1: What is the one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's first starting off in the digital product space?
2: Hmm. I mean, that's a big space. So I would just say, get to know your company, the product, the value it offers, and the industry. I think telescoping and understanding the user story, the industry story, where the company fits in that, in those two uh, levels, and then where it aspires to be is really, really important foundational understanding to be an effective designer. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you so much. This was super helpful. Thanks for having me. I hope my answers were not too tactical or too general. No, they were really good. Okay, awesome.
1: All right, great. Have a good day. Cool. Sounds
2: good. Thanks, Alex. All thanks. Cheers. Bye.